1: Okay, Tom, we're in a place to be. You doing okay tonight? I am. I am. I'm excited about this. It's uh, it's after the work day, and so we get a chance to chill out. Yeah, man. And I, I'm glad you're here because you know, there's a couple things that, you know, that uh, I guess your assistant sent me that I kind of wanted to chat about with you with because I'm kind of familiar with it. And I know, like, for example, you worked at Oracle for a while. I did for many years, yeah, I did. And So, with my yeah. current position, you know, we use. Most, well, from one side of the house, we use a lot of their products, but uh mm-hmm. I guess this is so the listeners have a, a little bit of a background about you. I know you're the CEO of the conservatory group. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And so how did all this come about? Like maybe give them a little brief introduction about with, about yourself.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting. So I, I, I consider myself a recovering executive, right? So I was out in the corporate world for for several decades. And, uh, you know, you get to a point where you're you're kind of like, you know, kind of wonder, what are you going to do with? Like, what are you going to do when you grow up? <laughs> like, yeah. what's, what's the legacy going to be? What are you going to be able to tell your grandkids and all that? Sure. And w- what I found was that uh, there was a f- handful of things that I, I wanted to do. And I wanted to harken back to uh, how I grew up as a musician yeah. and how I learned things. And that's where the term conservatory comes from. I went to a music conservatory. It was f- very fond memories. I was a musician um, thinking I would do that professionally. And I went to a music conservatory, and those that you know outside the U.S. conservatory means something else. Like in the U.K., it means like a greenhouse or something. It's mm. it's a different meaning, but here it's obviously a, a school where you it's fine arts schools, usually music, and it's a really cool kind of place. It's it's more the the school part is not like we what, like we would consider it. Like you don't sit down and listen to somebody lecture, it's multiple things. It's sitting down one-on-one with somebody helping you out. It's sitting down with an ensemble, figuring out what you want to do, jam sessions, all of that stuff. So you get all of these different experiences, a lot of senses kick in and how you learn um, music. And I guess, you know, fast forward to today, after my life in corporate America and my life as a musician and how I learned, I thought I can buy the two. And the punchline here is I take music conservatory processes and learning paradigms into the business world to teach people how to do a handful of things. But I I work a lot with salespeople, how to become better salespeople, leadership. Um, And so I combine all that stuff uh, into a big pot and it seems to be seems to be fairly effective.
1: Um, So that's how I make a living lately. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's kind of makes sense because one thing, you know, with doing these podcasts and getting my thoughts out and, you know, talking with people like yourself, you know, I've learned that over the years, you know, my life experiences, you know, what I've done, what I've messed up on that I've kind of learned and grown over my years, obviously. And I kind of combined all those things and take what I like, take what I've learned. And, you know, like you said, throw them in a big pot and you just kind of, Yep. You know, stir that up and make a little magic happen. And, you know, like you said that, you know, you're teaching people how to be, you know, leadership and sales and that you use everything you've been taught over the years and make it happen. And it's kind of a cool thing that I used to not really think about that. You know, I used to, I don't know what I'm trying, the word I'm looking for is, but I used to just, I guess, overlook it and just not realize like, hey, I was taught a couple of lessons through life and I just, you know, didn't really analyze it at the time. Well, it's it's interesting because I think when we're younger, we're impressionable.
2: Right? You, you Oh, you, I agree. You tend to listen to your, you know, your elder superiors, what do you want to call it? And you kind of take it all at face value. It's like, you know, apparently they must know more than I do. So you you take it. And as you grow older, you find out that, hey, you know, we all have our issues and problems and we're not all perfect. But there's a lot of truth uh, mixed in there and you start discerning what works, what doesn't work for you. I mean the fact is that we're all very unique and the reason one of the reasons anyway that we're all very unique is we are a compilation of our experiences okay and so you know it's taking a paradigm of snowflake right there's no two identical snowflakes i i find it very difficult to believe that there are two different people i mean two similar people just because of our experiences you and i started before the podcast recording you know kind of talking about where where we live and we're affected by our environment, you know, uh, and and the people around us and everything that goes with it. You put all of that, and and then I think as you get older, and you sort of look back and and very reflective. And by the way, as my career have go- has gone through, I am a super over the top reflective person. Hmm. So I'm a I'm an avid journaler, right? I I journal everything. Nice um and as i get older i journal more and more and different and and i do it in a present tense like I, I i not only do i want the data but i want the emotion like how, what am i feeling now like if i'm mad right now for whatever reason, doesn't matter i write that down right and and i write it down in how how best i can describe how i feel because it's not just about what happened, but how it happened and when it happened, with who it happened, and all of this. And these become experiences. And, and the fact is that you can learn not only as an individual but also as you try to scale. That was one of the reasons that I did what I wanted to do around sales was I, I wanted to scale. I, I, I wanted and the way you the way you scale your experiences and your learning, is by getting it out there, right? whether yeah. it be doing this podcast or writing articles or whatever. Um, and so that's a little bit of therapeutic on my perspective because I get a chance to do that. but I also hope that it's valuable information for other people. and again, using my mixed experience, I hopefully Chris, you know we can we can be acquaintance anyway, maybe friends in the future where this podcast conversation actually touches each one of us, right? Like I'll, you'll learn something. I'm going to learn something from you. That's that I'm going to embed and go, I remember Chris said that one thing on that Tuesday. It was pretty cool. And I'm going to take that forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's one good thing about doing these, like all the different conversations that I have and, you know, and like all the different topics that I do, just because I don't want to pigeonhole myself into one different thing. It's just that I get to learn something new, you know, each time I do these almost, you know, just like one way you handled a situation or, you know, how you use music to what you're doing now and just cool little things like that, that, you know, I never would have thought about. And just like you were talking about journaling and that was something that's try to be in, it's a new habit for me right now because I don't do it every day, but I try to make myself do it at least once or twice a week. And, you know, George, Jordan Peterson talks about how if you j- journal, like it's really powerful you become a dangerous man because you articulate your thoughts and well <laughs> yeah. you have to write down your thoughts and be able to articulate them then and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with what you
2: I've been journaling since 96. Nice. Um, And I started pen and paper, still do some pen and paper because it's just the you know, the, the stroke of, of writing something on papers is also cathartic, but I do a lot of electronic journaling. Sure. I also journal. So, so my journaling takes all sorts of forms too, by the way, you know, some of it is spiritual and, and, and more sort of in touch with myself, but a lot of it is like work journaling, like what happened at work and, and what was the strategy that employed or didn't work or, or whatever. Right? So yeah. you, you remember, I mean, You know, I I think it's uh, was a David Allen from Getting Things Done. He basically said the brain is uh, meant for thinking, not for storing. (laughs) And so the idea is get all the stuff on paper and go back and you can always get data. But if you can keep churning on that data and that information, you can come up with innovative ideas and thoughts and be able to share with those. So, yeah, my journaling has evolved. Um, I journal every day every day. It's almost like, it's like brushing your teeth in the sense that you'll miss. If I don't journal, I miss it. Like I don't get wound up on, well, in the morning I do 18 pages of it. I don't, I don't get all (laughs) formal like that, Nice, but sometime during the day, some journaling thing is probably anywhere between 500 to a thousand words on something
1: will show up. Yep. You ever thought about taking those journals and making a, you know, like a, A book out of it or some kind of audio? I have. I have.
2: So that brings us a different, different, different way. So, um, in 2009, my, my wife, um, contracted breast cancer. Hmm. Um, and it was a very, very, very difficult journey. Now let's just get to the punchline. She's alive and well, and (laughs) she's in remission and everything's fine. There's no, uh, (laughs) I'm not going to go down that path. Okay. However, when, she started that became a journal onto itself
0: Mm.
2: i wanted to to feel the emotions understand what's going
0: that i started laying out and
2: uh the idea for me along with some other stuff is to is to make that into a book because i learned a lot of stuff from that experience it's kind of a weird thing that i've heard there's a gentleman like after my wife contracted breast cancer there's a gentleman that came out of nowhere and he calls me and he called me once and we talked and i've never heard i don't know who the guy was or anything he just heard of my situation and wanted to give me encouragement mm-hmm. and he basically says look tom it's 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 the the worst thing like you will never want to wish this on your worst enemy and yet." You're going to be so glad you went through it. And he said that. And I'm like, first of all, I thought he was nuts. I was like, this is probably not the thing I needed to hear now. Yeah. But I'm sitting here, you know, after so many, what is it, 13 years or whatever it's been now? Um, he's absolutely right. And I just felt as if as I journaled and and my thoughts and ideas and what happened that maybe other people can reap the benefits of that too. So it's, it's one, and by the way, that continues, right? Cause once you have cancer, you, you have cancer, you know, it just, doesn't necessarily go away. Uh, that, that, like, it's not like the flu or anything. Um, but it, it gives me hope that perhaps I can get that out the door to people and have them, you know, learn, learn, um, and, and know that it's, um, that there's lots and other people going through it. I mean, when you go through it, you think you're the only person on the planet.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? Like it's a whole different topic right there. That you yep. think you're the only one, and you're really not. And again, that's another lesson I've learned doing these podcasts: is that you know, you some people have these thoughts or these problems, like you said, and you think you're the only one going out through there, but there's a ton of people going through there. It's just whether it's you know being shown or you know externalized or not. And and one thing I wanted to know though while you're talking about, you know, journaling, this question popped in my head that, you know, would you, when you say you started back in the nineties, you started writing? Ninety six. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever go back and reread? Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, <laughs> yes. I was wondering, you know, like, all right, so, you know, 96, I mean, when you read something here in 2022, I mean, do you have different feelings from yep. you interpret interpreted different or, you know,
2: uh, I'll give you, I'll give you sort of the common one. Okay. And And, and the common feeling is you, You, you go through a, you go through a, a valley of some kind of your life, something bad happens. And it's the worst thing that has ever happened on your, in your life, right? Sure. And you're writing it down and you're saying uh, you're in despair and you're using words like that. And then you forget, You, you go through it and you forget, right? You just figure it out and you do all this other stuff. And then sometimes you feel that again, like now I know that was bad, but now what I'm going through is the worst thing in my life right? mm-hmm. and so what's interesting it's healthy is you go back, go back to that other level of despair, and then read through that so so you don't forget you know, um, I am a spiritual religious person, um, and so i i I have strong faith in in God, and I do believe that i find myself um seeking his help and sometimes going through that gives you a sense of hope um from what you're currently going because you know you just you just forget which is i mean you're human you know you forget how like you were in the valley and now you're at the peak and then you're back down in the valley and you forget the previous valley and um and that's probably one of the more common things that i use another another way is Sometimes like for business journaling, sometimes um, you have a problem yeah, and you journal the solution and how you got out of it. And sometimes you're like, hold on a second. This is very reminiscent of a problem that I had five years ago or something. Let me flip through my journals and find it and then sort of look at it and go, oh yeah, oh, that's right. We took this angle or we call this guy or whatever it was. Um, so that's another another calming way. And then last the last thing is, you know, it'll be interesting for my kids or legacy to get, I mean, I'm going to turn it all over, right, to to my family once I'm long and gone
1: and it won't matter <laughs> um, and have them know a little bit about who I am. Well, yeah, it helps just because, you know, I mean, you know, I know you have your PhD and you're an author and a researcher and that, you know, knowing that what you went through in life and just that, you know, somebody's there to reflect on your your teachings, I guess you want to say that, or your experiences or whatever. It's just, you know, it's a whole different level of education, you know, that. I mean, do you imagine if if we all did this? If
2: we all did this with the amount of data, information, knowledge, especially now, one of the interesting things that I, I've been reflecting on, especially going through this recession that we're kind of going through, it's kind of a weird time. Sure. But it's not really a weird time. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because we've done it before. The internet's been alive and well since what ninety four something like that right. ninety five. Um, you know when Al Gore invented it, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I caught that.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but anyway, there's. I mean, now you've got a place, right? You got a centralized place because back in the day, you know, I'm I'm uh, um, you know, you're I'm probably old enough to be your dad, but. You know, back in the day, you went to a library, right? And you read books and, and, you know, you were only really as good as your library. And then libraries started specializing. You had to go to different libraries and newspapers and look through stuff and everything was hard copy. Come on, man. I mean, everything is at your fingertips. Yeah. And so what I find interesting is that we can learn so much. Now it's not, we've been through two recessions. And. I mean, I'll give you an interesting statistic that came out in a report. This report actually came out in 2009. And basically it was a report that said during the recession, a bunch of people on the top of the fortune 500 dropped their leadership position and a bunch of people at the bottom of the fortune leapfrogged into leadership positions during that time. And people say, well, how did that happen? Well, The people at the top, right? They nailed everything down. Hey, let's not spend any money. Let's lay people off. Let's not do anything. And then the people at the bottom, like, look, you know, we got to do something because we're here at the bottom. So they invested, right? They hired people, invested and developed and innovative. And the next thing, no, boom, they're taking market share from other people and dropping it down. That is now all very well documented here. So here we go again. Somebody you know and and this hopefully is a word of encouragement to your listeners it's like some somebody's going to do well and that could, that person could be you yeah. and the magic behind doing well is this is the time to make the move this is the time to be innovative to think out of the box you know all of those um pithy sayings that are unfortunately or fortunately whatever very true and you know Don't be the don't be the guy that sort of, you know, nails everything down and just said, oh, we'll just make, you know, we'll weather the storm and we'll get through it
1: because, yeah, you might you might stay exactly where you are, but someone's going to leap over you. Yeah, no, it's one of those things that, you know, when. These moments in life come that like you you said it best, you, know, you got to think outside the box. That way you can catch the next wave of whatever in that exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. And just, you don't have to go listen, you know, do your own research, you know, don't go listening to every expert out there. And I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to them. I'm just saying that you do your own research and then you can, like you said, think outside the box, you can catch that next wave going back up. Just, you know, that way you can leap, like you said, leapfrog onto the next whatever. I mean, okay. the, the, what's interesting is, I mean, we are in the, and
2: every day that goes by, I mean, I forget what ridiculous amount of data gets internet loaded in the internet by gazillion websites, but, yeah. you know, every day that goes by, that's just more and more and more information. Now, some of it, you know, heck, a lot of it is garbage. Um, but, you know, use some discernment. Mm-hmm. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when we we're going through the dot com bust and all that, I mean, we didn't, we didn't really have a lot of that research and that data available to people, because again, the internet was only around for about five years or so, Yeah. but now it's, you know, closer to 25 years. Yeah. And there's a bunch of data out there that they basically says, look, here's, here's the recipe um, to, to do well. And, and again, you've got the shysters out there that you got to kind of watch out for, you know, the get rich quick guys, but, um, but there are innovative ways of doing it. So I guess my point is there's this entire Wave of information that's available going back to the journaling discussion. You know, I see that as my sort of data set that's, you know, that's uh, surrounds my
1: experience. Yeah. yeah. It's always interesting to lean in on. Yeah. You know, you take those pearls and gems like we're talking about, and you know, you don't have to take everything exactly what, you know, you did like through your mm-hmm. life, but you take those good pearls and gems, like you said about scenarios and things you could have done different or, you know, the way mm-hmm. you turned out. Like, oh, wait, you know, it's nothing wrong with taking that advice, but I think. You know, when people do, you know, get on the internet wave and they, they're starting to look at people, you know, like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Obama, I mean, whoever you want to say. And like, oh, I, they did it every, you know, they did everything this way, this way, this way. I need to do it that way. and it, But it, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And that's when things kind of fall apart. But it's like, well, you're two different people, you know, just because person A was able to do it one way doesn't mean it might work for person B. But you got to adapt to your own style and learn, go, you know, learn your own leadership to expand, you know. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that's just where I don't want to say a lot of problems can, you know, happen, but it tends to be a problem that, you know, it's just like I don't understand. You know, I try to do the same type of leadership, you know, that you know, Tom did and, did, yep. and I couldn't do I couldn't be a CEO. You know, I failed. And it's yep. that, where like some people, you know, I guess they beat themselves down rather than learn from their mistakes.
2: Yeah, it was it was was very interesting, is um so to get in my PhD program. You had to write, you know, it's a rather difficult process just in of itself. Right? You had to, you had to write a few essays okay. and papers, and to go through some interviews and all this. And uh, I wrote um, one paper. I wrote about leadership. It was so. So there's a I mean, you. You or your listeners might have heard of the book, The Leadership Challenge. Sounds familiar. So, yeah, Leadership Challenge has been around since uh, 1987. Uh, The two authors are uh, Kuzis and Posner. Um, And basically what it is, it's a really cool type of approach to writing a book, was they kind of distill leadership characteristics into like 36 different traits. Okay. And they're they're two professors out of California, I think, do different universities that – spoke on leadership and they would do these workshops. And, and what they would do is they would pass out these worksheets and they said, pick your, pick your top five leadership traits. And then they would write about it. And I think if you go out to Amazon, I think it's maybe the fifth edition or something like that of the book. Um, there was probably seven, eight traits that always bounced around in the top five. You know, like year over, like when they would reissue the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was one trait that was number one all the time. What's one trait that happened? I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a game here with you. One trait that made it number one every single issue with a bullet. Can you guess what that is? One trait. Leadership trait. Integrity. Close. Uh, It's uh, actually integrity was one of the top
1: five, but it's not number one. That that, that was the first one that came to my head. Yeah, I don't know. Help me out. Honesty. Honesty. I I was going to say loyalty
2: next, but okay. Yeah. So honesty. Now the interesting. So so my thesis was the following. This this, I'm going to circle back to your 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 point here earlier. So. I wrote my thesis and 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 I ended the thesis with a question and I'll put that question in front of you and your listeners. And I don't have an answer for this. That's what made it kind of interesting. And they accepted me into the program. I said, do you think that it's honesty because we see it all the time and, and we see it with good leaders or do you think it's honesty because we don't see it? In leaders, and we're looking for it.
0: it's hmm. a good question. I mean, if I like, right? If I if I see it all the time and it works,
2: then I think it's honesty, and so therefore it's got to be that. Or I think it's honesty because I don't see it, and I think every leader should have it. Was it one of the? Because face it, we've got you know, I mean, uh, you know, we've got a whole bunch of fallen leaders
1: out there. Sure. Um. Was it one of those things that a leader shouldn't share a hundred percent of their knowledge to their yeah
2: i mean is it is it one of these things that you want to protect your people from the realities or and so therefore you get caught up or you are you trying to you know sneak one by or yeah are you trying, you know so I kind of left it open and and i I really have never gotten an answer to that um and it's you know it's one of those things but i, I you know what's what i found interesting as you like i said if you go back to that book and and read it and i've i've, I've read multiple editions to because they always add like more stuff and they get more information and you see it all kind of progress and you're thinking like how did but that one that was that's number one every single time like all the other ones kind of bounce around you know like i said maybe it's like seven or eight other ones that bounce around the four, you know, the the other four of the top five, mm-hmm. but that one was always number one. And, um, uh, I used the, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but as I mentioned earlier, but I used, uh, the, the frost interviews with Richard Nixon. And, um, this was when Richard Nixon of course was, Um, removed he was impeached okay um, as president back in the 70s and he says this line and he says it and I used it like this sort of this super smooth cool he goes if the president does it it's not illegal interesting I mean and he said it like it was fact and I looked at it and you watch it. There's on the video, you can go to YouTube, you can see the original interviews. You look at the guy and you go, that guy believes that that guy believes exactly what he said. And so I always thought to myself, was that sort of the beginning of, because, I mean, if you go back and know the Richard Nixon, I mean, he, the, you know, Watergate, that scandal, day, you know, was day, right.
1: about it. Yeah. And,
2: yeah. I mean, you can go and pick all that up on the internet but let's just say he he was far from honest uh, (laughs) what he did um but that's what he said he was like he was you know he was kind of dumbfounded that they were having this discussion about this because he said you know if the president does it, it's not illegal and even frost was looking at him like what (laughs) so anyway (laughs) i I digress a little bit but the, the the questions that you were bringing up about Everyone's got their voice, if you will. I'm going to paraphrase what you were saying earlier, their style or whatever.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, how, how can you communicate that in its intention? Which is, by the way, another real hard thing to measure
1: is someone's intention. Mm. Yeah, the real motivation or whatever they're doing and why they're Yeah.
2: I mean again, right? Like just like you said earlier about, you know, are people honest or not as honest? How's that? (laughs) There you go. go. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're trying to save their people from something. Sure. You know, and so there's that intention, or are you trying to keep something from me because I don't want you know, you don't want me to find out something? Um measuring tension is, is very, very difficult. I I my one of my my professors used to uh Use this as an example about intentions. So let's say you're walking down the, the street and you see some guy building a a grill. You know, brick and mortar, right? And He's putting it all in. And it's all kind of obtuse. And it's all weird and stuff. And you're like, you come up to the guy and go, "You're you're you're not you're not you're not building that grill right. It's not going to work." And the guy looks at you, "Grill? I'm building abstract art. What are you talking about?" Right, but yet you had it one view, and he had it another view, like from an intentional perspective, I mean that's probably a good example of of what people do, like all the time, like you look at somebody's observation and go, "You know, I can't believe the guy's doing this, or he said that, and meanwhile, there's this whole other reason why,
0: well,
1: you know, working in corporate America and now being a CEO and did you notice your leadership style changing a lot, or did you kind of stick to a you know, a path that you found that worked for yourself.
2: That, that's that that's that's a really good question to ask me now. Um, because I think my answer changes over time. Yeah. You, you know, you sit there and you think about yourself like oh, like everyone thinks they're a leader. And to some extent you can be. You know, it's positions got very little to do with with leadership. It's it's really the behaviors and <clears throat> if you want to take like an operational definition, excuse me, of leadership is <clears throat> excuse me. Is influencing others to achieve a common goal, right? I mean, that's that's leadership, right? In in a, in a box. So over time, I found out that there are certain leadership things that I I don't necessarily do as well. Like let let me start from the beginning. I'm not a very good manager. Okay. Man- and what I mean by manager is I use Peter Drucker's definition, right? Managers do things right. Leaders do the uh, right things. Hmm. Okay. So managers are very process oriented, getting things done in you know, deadlines, you know, making sure that people get, you need those guys. You need those people to do that. Then you have leaders that put managers in situations to be able to influence that, a common goal. Um. Like, I don't necessarily think I'm inspirational. Like you always think, oh, you know, the the inspirational that I don't I don't don't see myself as inspirational. I don't see myself as um, somebody that, you know, would would sort of have great presence in a room or anything like that. Hmm. And and at the same time, I see myself as a very good coach and mentor. And that's kind of the thing that I went, I'm, I'm a strengths-based kind of guy, like work on your strengths, mitigate your weakness. I agree. And I go, okay, so I'm a really good coach and mentoring. So that's like, that's going to be my thing, right? And I'm going to get better at it. And that's what I'm going to use. And if I need to manage things or inspire others or whatever, I'm going to figure out somebody else to help me do that. Yeah. Um, once you figure that out, you, you, you're going to be successful. And it's okay to be able to come back and say, "You know something, I'm not good at this, or there's other people better than me." there's um there's a whole bunch of interesting little fun statistics in a book called um Given I think it's called "Give and Take" by Adam Grant. okay. And in there, it talks about like all these surveys, like there was a survey. About rating yourself at an engineering firm, and ninety eight percent of the engineers rated themselves in the top five percent. <laughs> of course <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, just, right I mean, I mean, you can't go wrong like if just because I'm a statistician, right? So you can't go wrong by saying the following. I'm probably an average leader because that's going to be the greatest <laughs> population, right? If you're trying. So if you work off that premise, And say, okay, you're an average leader, but what of those things are not as average, like below average? And what are those things that are above average? Mm -hmm. Dump the things that are below average and get really good at those things that are above average. And guess what? You start creeping up. But I would say that most of the people that are truly the average leader are the ones that think that they're the great leaders. Mm, I would agree and they just kind of sit there and it's sort of the right thing to do. Like, I think, I don't think it's helpful for anybody that all this, because you, you, you stop learning. Like if you say I'm great at whatever, I mean, pick a thing. Like someone says, Hey, uh, Chris, uh, are you a good leader? What are you going to say? Yeah. Yeah, of course yeah. I am. What are you talking about? Yeah. If you leave it there, it's, it's, it's like, well are you are you done? Are you going to learn anymore? Are you going to be introspective and say
0: yeah, i think I think I'm a
2: average leader, but you know there are things that I do better than others, and there are things that are not as good as ever. I mean that's what average is <laughs> I agree right and, yeah. the, and, and once you come to that those grit, that those that idea then I think that just kind of liberates you to become better." And I, I could, and so you're asking me about that. It's like, that's the journey. If you were to ask me that same question 10 years ago, you probably would have gotten the, yeah, of course I am. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, you kind of look in the mirror and go, nah, yeah, I'm probably average, but some things are not as good and some things are good. Have the fortitude of dumping the stuff you're not good and jumping on the stuff you are good at.
1: Well, that's another piece of just being very self aware of your own. Mm-hmm. abilities and strengths and weaknesses, you know, what I mean, and being served a piece of humble pie, I mean, throughout your, you know, uh, your life. I mean, you know, I hate that sometimes that happens, but I think sometimes it needs to happen. So you don't get this inflated ego of thinking that you're the next, I don't know, great leader of whoever you want to say. I mean, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that usually I forgot that quote, but it's like, hey, if you have to tell everybody that you're great, you're probably you're <laughs> not, really probably, you're not, not, probably great.
2: not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. There's a so I do I like and so going back to my my leadership things I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a pretty good coach and mentor. Okay. Um, I'm definitely above average. Okay, so that's I'm gonna go that I'm I'll I'll, I'll put I'll put that on the table. Yeah. Um. One of the things I do with leaders that are still in that "yeah, I'm good leader" mode is, I'll sit in a room with a one-on-one with a leader, you know, usually an executive or company or something, and they and they'll say something like. know they'll just start blaming everybody right it's like well you know the market and him and i gotta deal with that and it's like it's like everyone else is a problem exactly it's never their fault it's right and so i'll ask the question what'd you do about it and they're like what do you mean what did i do about it by nothing i'm like yeah usually it's nothing and i said and and this is a little piece of advice for everybody that's listening The minute you blame anyone or anything, you do two things. Number one, you're pointing to the cause of the problem. But you're also pointing to the the cause of the solution,
0: mm-hmm.
2: meaning you're smuggling away the solution. If I were to say if, if 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 you worked for me, Chris, and I was a boss and 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 it was just all going hair and, and somebody says, what the heck's going on? You know, that that damn Chris, man, he just sucks. You know what? Everything he does. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. OK, so not only not only is that quote unquote a blame but if chris is the is the problem then chris also is the solution and if you push it off you can't fix it right what am i going to do like if you're the if you are the person to blame then what do i do as a leader nothing i can't because i just pushed it off to you but if i say you know chris has really been a problem however i need to take the initiative of doing the following eight things to fix that problem. Sure. And then turn around and say, yeah, that's, and, and therefore me not doing this is the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Guess what? The minute you say that you can fix it, but if you leave it under, like I said, circumstances, right. The economy, the recession, the, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, we're, you know, for, 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 uh, most uh, companies out there—they're going into Q4, and and boy, there's going to be lots of excuses going to come up of people, you know, this happened, that didn't happen, that I mean, <clears throat> and and that's a realization that I came because especially when you're in corporate America, you feel as if you're threatened. Right? You feel as if I don't if I don't have a good answer, then you know I'm, you know, my head's in the chopping block or whatever. Yeah but that's the wrong, that's the wrong attitude. I think the the thing is, Hey, look, you know, here's the two things I didn't do. Here are the three things I'm going to do about it. You get a plan, you take it on and then you go fix it. I think it's a lot healthier um, to, to to have that approach because I think a lot of (laughs) manufactured problems would get fixed.
1: Is that one of the, or is this one of the issues of corporate America? You know, You have these projections like you just talked about going into Q4 and, you know, everything's always supposed to be better than the year before, like as far as sales. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, but the CEO is supposed to get their money right and all that, you know, everything else is supposed to be better than next year. And it's always got to do better, got to do better, got to do better. Yep. And it seems like this to be added a ton more stress where, you know, you're already making, you know. 10, 20% profit than you did last year, but it's still not good enough to meet, you know, your bosses and stuff. And so stress comes into play and then the motivation just gets torn down because you may or may not, you know, meet those goals and stuff. And it's just like, you know, is there a time like when corporate America or even any business, I guess, should be like, oh, hey, we're doing good. You know, we're we're in the green, you know, why should we keep pushing, pushing, pushing and, you know, like when does it stop? You know, and I think that's, I guess that's my question. Like, is that, you know, maybe one of the issues with... Well America. I
2: mean there's there there's a there's a saying in corporate America if you're not growing you're dying. Hmm. I mean okay. I would say most people believe that. Now to some extent I do believe that. But I don't but here's the key to this and this is an, another sort of interesting research angle to this. Yeah. Is you know there's many ways to grow. Now, most people see growth as sort of a top line or, you know, bottom line type of number. So that number has to be bigger than last year than it was this year. Okay, fine. But there's lots of ways of doing it. One day is sort of more of the same, but the other thing might be more of different, you know, and and if you take, again, it's funny you mention it that kind of circle back around to that article I was talking about around the recession and people sort of swapping places. Most of those people that sort of leapfrog did that. Like we're going to, like, we're going to add, and
0: we're going to like shore up areas that we weren't. Uh Oh. Different regions, different solutions.
2: And that's how I'm going to grow. But I think a lot of times, you know, everybody is kind of a one-trick pony when it comes down to, to growth. Um, there are two types of changes in corporate, actually, anywhere. When you do a, some kind of change management and transformation of a company, there's two types. Sure. One is a financial change, meaning more money, less cost, something. The other one is increased capabilities. That's it. All changes boil down to that, and that comes from some research coming out of uh, two gentlemen, Beer and Narita. Call they had a huge book called "Cracking Code of Change," and they, that's their conclusion. They came. Now, what's interesting is if you're looking for what they call economic change, it's a top-down approach. You take leadership, and leadership basically says, "Okay, I'm gonna put people in place. We're gonna cut heads. We're gonna add heads. We're gonna, whatever we're gonna do." In a capability change, it's a bottom up. starts from the bottom and moves up. Here's the problem: most of the time, when you're trying to do capability changes, people try to implement it from the top, and it never works. And so, this is very (laughs) this is a very good recession topic because. Many times leaders let people are looking to leaders or leaders feel as if they have to do something and they go, "Okay, well, let's say they figure out and they go, well, I'm not I'm not going to cut heads or I'm not going to do any of that. I want to spend some money and be innovative and hire the right people and grow, change your capability. So I'm going to mandate that. (laughs) That never works. What you need to do is you need to empower the people below to take over and tell you what to do. That's one of the problems about being a CEO and and and, and going up the ladder is you just get further away from the action. I like you know that. it's it's the difference between dancing on the dance floor or on, or watching it from the balcony. You know I, I um I used to do this training session where. You know, in a busy New York intersection. I'd say, hey, let's let's cross the street. So we'd be all down, cross the people pushing and shoving, and you're trying to cross the street, and it's like yelling, and people go, get the hell out of my way, and you got cabs hon- honking the horn at you, and it's just you're you're just trying to get to cross the street without getting killed. Right. Then you'd go to like the 40th floor of some high rise, and then you look down on that intersection. It's all peaceful and quiet around you. But you're watching, you could see people just pushing and shoving, but you know, you're not in it. So there's some goodness and some badness, right? I see. The goodness is you're not in it. So you're you're not going to get, you know, sort of, how do you call it? You know, get hit, <laughs> get whatever when you're down there. But at the same time, you don't have an appreciation of what's going down there either. Mm and so i think um i think both are good things to to have and i think both perspectives are important um and i think sometimes when leaders ascend into a higher position i think they forget that part
1: yeah, yeah. Well, my first uh, first couple of my jobs growing up, I was on a factory floor manufacturing plant or whatever, just doing the same thing over and over again. And I used to, I remember thinking that, that, you know, when the bosses came down or a leader came down, I said, I don't really know what's going on down here. And, you know, all you're caring about is numbers and, you know, what's on paper and stuff like that. I I remember having that thought that, you know, because they they seem to make it think like, and I, I guess they were doing their best of their jobs. I'm not knocking it, but it was always just like. Know, get pat on the back, keep going, doing your thing, and then like, but then we still, ex- you know, it's kind of like, what is it a backhanded compliment? You know, still expecting more out of you, and that's oh yeah, I was, always remember just like you get down here and you make these things for eight hours. Man. Well, it, it's
2: <laughs> interesting, right? Because that turned into the Toyota way. I mean, you could read a book about it, and Lean Manufacturing came from that attitude, mm. where the the Toyota manufacturers decided that. Um, anybody on the line could pull the, the cord and stop the line if they saw a problem. Yeah. Now anybody who's ever been in the auto industry or any manufacturing industry as a, a, a laborer would tell you No nah, man, I'm not pulling. <laughs> I'm not the guy that's going to pull the cord or stop this whole line. I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to just do my, you know, I got, you know maybe maybe you're you you're building a car or whatever and your job is to put the rear quarter panel on there and as it goes by you see that the you know that the front quarter panel is kind of skewed hey, but that's not your job right uh, so you're not going to pull you know pull the cord and you know leaders in Toyota and that's why they made Toyota way said well who, who who's going to see it then if if you see it go by i'm i'm the boss I'm, I'm not going to see it I'm not going to see it till it probably is in the showroom floor, and somebody's going to complain about it, yeah. No. if you see it, you need to stop the line
1: for sure.
2: And so they installed all of these rip cords in the in the factory, so then when someone saw something, they would pull it, dude, come over, fix it, Cute. right, and then turn it back on, and then the quality just shot up. I mean, that's that whole process is metaphorical to heck, even knowledge workers in, in organizations, right? If you see something wrong, you need to be able to pull the cord. If
1: you know what, whatever that cord is in your company. Is that one of those things? It's kind of a mentality, especially in today's time that, you know, if you see, you know, something wrong, like you're on a street, that crowded street and you see somebody getting mugged or you're a sick, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And you're, and you're like, Oh, somebody else would call it. I don't. Yep. Do yeah. You know, I'm just going to keep on going. That's I I, I got
2: to there's, I mean, there's a, Terrible, terrible story about uh, back in the seventies, young lady being raped in New York, um, in the alley, and the police came and they she was murdered. Police came and they interviewed everybody. Thirty-seven
0: people hurt her and did nothing. Wow. And why? A
2: scared or B, yeah. Somebody else. You know, it's New York. Somebody else will do it. Yeah. Thirty-seven people. I mean, okay, that's a little deep for our conversation, but it it, it makes the it makes the point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just I don't I don't get why. Maybe I I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to think. Maybe it's just a thought I'm just trying to think out loud, but it seems like that's just more of the case more often than not when you hear of things you know rather like that or even in a workplace it's, it's always like oh it's not my problem uh, you know somebody else will figure it out i don't need to get involved and you know or it's just like oh i always hear well, that's above my pay grade why should i say something and stuff and it's like well, well man you know i mean don't you want to do a good job i mean don't you want to you know at least you know say you're putting your name on this or you're saying that you do this stuff i mean where's the uh where's the integrity like we were talking about earlier where's the honesty where's the you're saying that. Well, it, and, you know, and
2: the 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 reality is, um, is that many people that don't, you know, have been burnt. Mm. I mean, what if what if you were you know, go down there and the young lady was getting raped, and you go do something? Maybe next thing you're getting stabbed, or you getting shot at, or whatever. Right? You're like, you know, I don't even know her. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting that that's the right thing to do. I'm just saying that's something that unfortunately is a very understandable thing to do, or you know, the thing that you found wrong at work was actually the, your boss's mistake. And then you you don't even know, like you see a mistake and you don't know who did it. You just sort of raise your hand and go, hey, look, there's this mistake. Yeah. Next thing you know, it's your boss going, dude, you outed me, man. What's mm-hmm. up with that? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, you know, and you get okay. an ear full of that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. As opposed to what the boss should have said is, hey, man, thanks for covering me or thanks for pulling, you know. Yeah. But there's a, I mean, I hear it all the time that people just, you know, get the wrong end, you know, the shaft, they get shafted because, you know, they outed, you know, somebody that they shouldn't have outed, even though
1: the mistake was a real one. Yeah, Robert Green, he wrote, he wrote a book, 48 Laws of Power. And one of the laws of power is that um, you should never outsign the master or the boss or whatever. And so I think that's kind of where some of that comes from is that, you know, if you do Like you said, say something about, you know, if your boss messed up or whatever, then of course, you know, instead of that, you know, your boss owning that, hey, you know, okay, I screwed up. That's my, that's my bad. I'm sorry. Or, you know, it's like, hey, if you outstown it, like you said, oh, that your boss is going to be out to get you from now on and you'll be lucky to have a job the next day. So I think that's just the mentality. And, 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 and,
2: I mean, and it's alive and well, and people sort of have these conversations on podcasts like you and I. Wonder why we do it. I mean, I I could tell you, man, when I was in my, I'm in corporate America. I believe me, you know, no, no what, what, what's the saying? No good deed will go unpunished. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you think you're doing the right thing. And next thing you know, you're getting punished for, you know, one thing or another, because, you know, you said the wrong thing in the wrong group of people or whatever. hmm. I had this conversation one time with somebody going, you know, sending emails. This is as simple as sending an email. You got some meeting about something and you send it to the people you think should be at the meeting. Well, guess what? You didn't add your boss or you didn't add some other's boss, somebody else's boss. Oh yeah. Next thing you know, you get the email from somebody who sent it to somebody. Hey, just want to let you know that Tom didn't, you know, he didn't invite Chris. I don't know what's up. Well, you know, and then, that just becomes a big deal. And then you come in and say, well, how come you didn't invite me? Well, dude, I, I mean, I just didn't think it was oh. you needed to be there. Well, why didn't you think of me? Did you don't need to come important. No, blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, the next meeting invites got like 200 people on the mm-hmm. on the list, just like covering my bases to make sure I don't miss anybody. I mean, these are very real problems. And the next thing you know, you've got 150 people at your meeting <laughs> and you only needed eight, you know, okay. <laughs> just because you're so how do you fix I don't know. I mean I don't I don't know how you fix it. I mean obviously it's a cultural thing that needs to get fixed. Um there's a you know it's real productivity or real dollars down the drain and I I just think we we've got to do a better job there too for all sorts of different reasons.
1: That that scenario you just explained. I work in higher education and I've seen that countless times just yep. with an easy, simple meeting that's only supposed to be, with, you know, like you said, two or three people, four people at the most, and then all of a sudden, well, how come I didn't get invited? And it's just like, oh, well, okay, I didn't know it was necessary. And then, yeah, again, it's the exact same scenario, and it's just like, man, you know, is this this inflated egos where this your job title makes you think you have to be at every meeting or whatever? And just in, like, and you know, it's great if you want to come, that's fine, but are you going to contribute? I mean, or did you really think you needed to be there just because of your x person and i i i I did an i did a i I did an
2: experiment one in one month um about those that's exact same thing because it worked the other way for me like i was on every freaking meeting i was (laughs)
0: was like
2: (laughs) i'm like i don't even know these people what are we gonna talk about so i would not accept like i i just like would just let it go And I got to tell you, out of nine out of 10 meetings happened without me. And the way I would know is I would wait. If somebody really needed me there, then they would send an email to say, hey, Tom, I see you didn't accept. We really need you there. Then I I would like, okay, that's an extra email to tell me that's going on. But nine out of 10 times, nobody even knew I wasn't there. Next thing you know, I'm opening up my calendar. It's like I got all sorts of extra time to do stuff Um, because it was, it's the other side of that coin when people are like, well, Tom better be in that meeting, you yeah. know, cause you certainly don't want to miss him. And I'm like, whatever possessed you that I I'm, I'm like that way. I must've said something. So, excuse me. So let me see if I can reverse it and like, just not show up and, and see if, you know, people are, no meetings went on fine, problems got fixed, <laughs> everything was fine, so I'm like,
1: all right, <laughs> there you go. There you go. And you know, and having these discussions, you know you're like talking about you know leadership in corporate America and like you know just our scenarios that we just laid out right there and do you, do you think that people can be successful with or without an ego, or do you need to have that some type of an ego to be successful
2: i i th- I think I mean, the way egos defined today. No, we don't we don't need it. I think we need I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. And this is this is I like to use emotional examples to make my point. Going back to my wife with her breast cancer, right? So now we gotta find a doctor, right? Like who's gonna do this? Right? You gotta go find an oncologist that knows what he's doing, all this other stuff. Yeah. So you go, I go to this guy, we we go, and I'm I'm just I'm kind of being, a. am pretty pissy about the, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm emotionally stretched, I'm a little pissed off, right, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, so I'm giving this guy, like, the what for's, I'm like, you know this, you know, I'm like interviewing him, basically, for, for him to be my, my wife's oncologist, and I finally said, you know, he's going on, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to take this step, and then finally I said to him, well, I said something like, what do you, so what if it doesn't work? Like, what if this, you know, what if she dies or he says, yeah. well, for that to happen, cancer's got to go through me
1: and I'm the effing best. I like it. Right? Yeah. I want, that's what I would want to hear, and I'm like, like sold, right? I'm yeah, like, sure, right? You know, somebody else might
2: have said, "Well, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I mean, we're gonna do our best, and you know, we're gonna take care of her." Yeah, you, you know, you would have heard all of that sugarcoating, because I mean, face it, right? We're talking about cancer. I get it, right? Yeah. But he just basically says that cancer's got to go through me, and I'm the effing best. So, and I'm like, so is that ego right is that confidence is that did he say that for my well-being i think he did yeah right you know um could be i think there's i think there's things i mean you want to follow a leader that's got some level of you know Hutzpa, right? I mean he's got some kind of spunk in him, right? Yeah, got a he's swag,
1: like got a swag to him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, right. that's you know, you don't want to be the, you know,
1: yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll try my best,
2: you know. It's like I don't I don't need to hear that. And Uh-oh. this is the, the right, this is the inspirational part of leadership that I always have a challenge, with, because I'm I'm pretty black and white as you picked up by now, but you know, I'm like yeah. um, but I think if you're speaking about leadership there's some of that whatever you want to call it swag confidence ego i think you need that because you have to instill hope in your followers
1: yeah yeah you know what is that you know if you even if you don't know that if you speak confidently confidently about something that you know if you sell it that way most people will still follow you, whatever, not even think otherwise of what you're doing.
2: Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, heck, right. I mean, you, and, and then there's the intention part, right. I mean, how many, I wrote a paper a long time ago and um, it was basically on the whole Enron thing that went down in 2000 and, you know, I went back and I mean uh, Ken Lay, who was the CEO of Enron You know, I went back and listened to him, right? You know, obviously after the fact, but I wrote a whole paper about all of this and the, the, you know, this idea of transformational leadership. You know, he was the, I mean, you would see him throw out the first pitch at a Rangers game, right? The Texas Rangers, because that's where they're from, right? And you got all these people and everybody would be like, you know, swooning over this guy. You know, I, I, I just think that that is a misuse of some of that as well. And this is the intention part. I mean, the fact is that, you know, the guy was a crook and, you know, he knew exactly what he was doing, but he figured, look, I can, you know, as long as we keep this going, um, people will believe it. Then they'll buy us and we'll get the money. I mean, that's what it was. Like, let's fake it till we make it kind of thing. But we're talking about people's lives. There's this, I researched, I researched, a lot about this thing there was a lady and 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 just to make it real specific right when i start talking about enron and the the billions of dollars that were lost on that alone people's heads explode they're like i I don't even know what you're talking about well let me make it super clear there was this executive administrator who was enron for years her name was sony summers um she was on she was interviewed she lost eight hundred thousand dollars in her 401k goodness Town to nothing I mean, she was like like well what possessed you to put all your money in Enron I mean we were killing it why yeah. wouldn't you
1: we well, did, yeah, exactly
2: right I mean I had at one point eight hundred thousand dollars for my retirement I mean We know you keep this going. I'm at two million dollars, and I'm 50 years old. I'm gonna retire. I mean, Uh, why not? Why wouldn't you? Only to find out that that was all just kind of fake. Lost her job. Lost all eight hundred thousand dollars. Wow. I mean, she didn't have two nickels to rub. I mean, you know, she was. So, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, right? That's the kind of um, challenge and intention that you have with with people. And that leadership can be used for good or for evil. I mean, you can think of all these cult leaders that had this grip on people. People were like, why would you even follow, you know, whatever, David Koresh or, you know, some of these guys. Well, that's the kind of power that these, that these leaders had, this, char- this charisma over their followers. So it's a real thing, I guess, is my point.
1: You have to be careful with it. Do you think a lot of people don't like to challenge, you know, like, you know, like cult leaders, they, it seems like they usually, you know, target people who are very weak minded and, you know, don't really have a lot going on for them anyway. And they, that way they can just, you know, use that charisma and say, Hey, come over here. Everything will be rainbows and gummy bears and, or whatever the saying is. But, you know, like when looking up to strong leaders and, you know, a trait that you would want to. See a you know, How people want to challenge those, and just they just want to go with whatever said. And just, hey, my life. I easy. don't know
2: if it's so much about challenges; it is about self-confidence. I have been in room when I was younger. Um, I remember being in a room where I came up with an idea, and I just got ridiculed. Ooh, like people laughed at me. Like that was it. Like. Now, what's the reason? I'm and, and you know I want to no want want to make this longer than it needs to be, but it was a really good idea that ended up becoming real through other people. Like they like they took my idea and did it themselves and got the credit and all this other stuff. Of course, but at the time, I'm sitting in the room. I provide this idea. My boss, his boss, people around me all just kind of chuckled and rolled their eyes and like, yeah, that'll never work. Okay, well, do you think I'm going to open my mouth again?
0: <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, um, I felt foolish, right? And I felt like, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about or I, did I miss the point? You know, I went back and I thought to myself, like, boy, that was, everybody reacted so weird to it. I, I What did I miss? And I thought I was seeing the right thing and all this other stuff. <clears throat> so it's not, this, I mean, I don't consider myself sort of weak minded that way. But it happened to me. Mm -hmm. And I bet you, I, you know, there's a bunch of, I can remember vividly having other ideas that I kept my mouth shut. Sure. I've been there. Right. So take that and I think, you know, expand it to the charisma of cult leaders. And I think it's the same thing. You look at a cult leader or you look at somebody that's a superior to you, who all of a sudden you believe knows more about whatever it is that you're talking about you don't want to look like a fool and you don't want to say anything. And, and guess what? They really don't. <laughs> and I think, I think that's the reality. I don't
1: think it's a challenge issue. It's I think it's more internal. Yeah. To your thing, to your top point, you know, I've always been, in, or I've been in that situation before where I don't want to get too specific and not overshare, but you know, somebody at, you know, a leader at some point asks for opinions on a, let's say Topic X, or whatever you want to say, and you gave them out to them, and just it wasn't what that person wanted to hear, or they just basically wanted a yes man or woman, whatever you want to say. And that you know, they went on ahead and did exactly what they wanted to anyway. Then at the end of the day, it was like, well, what the hell did you even ask me for anyway? If you were just going to go do what you wanted to anyway, was that just you showing that hey, I'm being a leader and I'm asking for input, but. If you're not even if it's the majority of the room saying, hey, well, why don't we change, you know, point A to point B and not let's not do C, you know, it's just like, well, I don't get it, you know. And that was one of those things that it's like, well, what the hell am I even doing? I'm if you ask for my input again, then nah. Yeah, you're gonna to you're like, be like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever, yeah, just go do whatever great. you want to. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's yeah. right. As long as it well, me, what's yeah, interesting whatever. is like if 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 those that are listening again are in a situation and you have a leader in front of you, it's really really one of the ways of sort of diagnosing the issue does the leader go last or does he go first Mm. right if the leader goes first they want you to agree to their thing if the leader goes last they want to know reality because they don't want to taint the room they don't want to taint your thinking sure but I, I mean, and you can see it. You go in the room and so, says, "Hey, we got this problem, and I think we should, you know, option A." Chris, what do you think?
0: Oh,
2: what? What are you going to say?
1: Yeah, option A, good. <laughs> go for it.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, but my point is, is when I, I mean, to me, it's become oh, okay. so over the years of doing this. You know, when I was again, when I was younger, you don't pick up on this, right? But when 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 you're, yeah. you know, older like me, and you go through it, you're like, okay, you're one of those guys. Got it. Right. Yeah. Option A is great. You know, have at it. And, uh, you know, sometimes people go, well, well we, we got this problem. You know, Chris, what do you think? You know, boom, 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 boom. And then, uh, you know, leader goes last and says, you know, these are really good ideas. I was kind of leaning here, but I think I have to rethink it. You know, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, and not only that, but I've learned that one, and I th- one of my supervisors taught me this, that, or he showed me this, however you want to say it, that. And I know we're getting kind of short on time here, but... Um, no, take your time. Okay. That, uh, you know, it's also depending on who else is in that room with you. And it's like you said, taint and somebody's thinking that just if your supervisor's in that room and you're talking about, you know, that topic A or whatever, you might not say what you actually think just because of what your supervisor might say. And that was one thing I was like, you know, I that one of those things that never occurred to me during my, you know, my young professional years about... It does make sense. Like after I left the room, it's like you know what I was, you know, thinking differently just because person A or person B was in that room. And I, didn't one of my favorite books that should be on everybody's
2: shelf, called it's called Evidence Based Management, and it's like there's a subtitle to it. Write that down. But it's written by Sutton and Pfeffer. Evidence based. So Jeffrey Pfeffer, professor, uh, another professor out of uh, I think Cal Berkeley. Um, writes these great, great sort of in your face business books. And in there, evidence-based management, he basically says, look, you know, you teach about evidence-based, like, you know, gather your data and come up, I mean, kind of, that's kind of the premise of the book. Sure. But then he talks about like, like now be careful on how to use this. Because if you're sitting in a room with your boss and your boss's boss, and people are saying a bunch of stuff and you come around and go, well, I don't think so because Bam, I got all this awesome data and you don't. Then people are like, uh, never invite Chris to that meeting again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's, it's a, you know, anyway, so I'm not going to spoil the rest of the book, but it's a great, great read. Gives you some ideas on how to be careful with that and and how
1: to actually gather good evidence for good points. I just wrote that on my. I keep a list of books that when I'm talking to guests on here that I should be reading. So yeah,
2: yeah, I wrote that down. But uh, I go back and read that one. All the – it's always one that that keeps me kind of in check too, right? Because that's the other thing too, right? You get some, you know, you get data, and all of a sudden you feel like you've got this extra thing that no one else has. You know, some people use it for good, some people use it for evil. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. right? so, yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I've learned that, you know, when with data and stuff, that you can make, even if you're creating the data, you can make it say whatever you want it to say, like whether it be good or evil. And, you know, you could find charts probably anywhere to fit your points, but it's really it's like, is that really the, what's going on? So,
2: and it's the intention, right? Are you, are you trying to solve the problem? Or are you trying to make yourself look good? Exactly. You know, and, uh, and it comes out, you know, it comes out eventually. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, that's a, a great book for that kind of stuff. You just have to be careful on how to, you know, judiciously use it. Um, because there's a, a lot of frailty. I had a, a CEO for a manufacturing company I was working with, and he was trying to buy my, you know, wanted to buy my product. Mm-hmm. We had this conversation and it's just him and I on the phone. And uh, we had everybody else. It was just everybody else left. All You know, and I was having this conversation and he goes, uh, well, Tom, I'm, I just want to make the right decision and, you know, what's good for my, you know, people and my company and all this. And I said, that's BS. He goes, what?
0: Well, that's BS, man.
2: He goes, you don't want to look like a fool. That's what it is. So that as soon as we can get past that, then we can have a real conversation. And he was like, well, I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, I really want to help you. And I don't think this is the issue. I think you don't understand what's going on. And you don't want to look like a fool and make the bad decision. So tell you what, why don't we help you with that? And he finally fessed up. He goes, you're right. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't want to be found out, but I obviously do want to help people. I'm like, okay, good. So let's take care of your fear first. So then you can help your company and your people to make the right decision. So, you know, Having a big title or having a experience now nah, that doesn't, you know, we're all people. Right? One, you know, one leg at a time, right? In putting your pants on. I like it. And
0: it would life would be a lot easier if people. Oh, that is. Oh, you're back. Okay. Yeah, there you. Are. Yeah, you were frozen thing. too.
1: Yeah. Cool, but. Well, good do. I think we should take it home on that right there. You know, we're all all right, my friend. Um, if people want to find you, anything you want to plug, all that good stuff, feel free to. Yeah, do. Yeah,
2: so you know, what's that's a little my little bit of my party trick. I've been around long enough that if you type my name, Tom Tonkin, on in Google, you'll my the the front page will be all of what I've done and presented and my thing, and be hard pressed not to find me. Uh, certainly on LinkedIn, that's probably the best place to find me. Feel free to connect with me. Uh I am not ceremonious about that stuff. You want to give me a buzz?
1: Uh I'm good there too. Cool. Well Dr. Tom, I appreciate you having this little chat with me tonight, man. Yeah, I
2: hope uh, I hope your 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 listeners got something out of it. And if they want to chat with me, like I said, pick something up, please give me a call.
1: All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks again.
2: Take care, my friend.
1: We're out here, folks.